0: Good morning everybody. It's good to be back with all of you. I want to give a special welcome to those of you who are watching online and those of you who are watching from our sanctuary which is right next door and we've made it. We have finally made it to the time after Thanksgiving where it is finally acceptable to start putting up Christmas lights and blare the Christmas music. Now, how many of you were just offended because uh, you've had your Christmas lights up since Halloween and uh, you're like, come on now, Kevin, you can start celebrating after Halloween. And how many of you are like, preach, because, well, you got to wait till after Thanksgiving in order to start being full on Christmas. All right, we got a few here and there, but regardless of your opinion, it's just good to be here. I'm also like weary of the open flame that's behind me because I don't know if you've heard that song, uh, Deck the Halls, there's that line in there that says, see the blazing U-log before you. Uh, I don't want it to be a case where it's see the blazing intern before you. That would. uh. So if you see me look back behind me, it's because uh, I don't want to catch on fire. But anyways, uh, we're all here. It's exciting. Christmas time is such a wonderful time. Advent is this time of preparation to be able to receive what good news God has to offer for us. And we are in a new sermon series, and it is called Light the Way Home. So throughout these weeks of Advent, we are going to learn that in Jesus Christ, God is building us a home. He's building us a home, and he is both the foundation of that home, and he is the light inside that home that is going to lead us to a life of joy, a life of peace, and a life of eternal life and normally in a building project so as we're building this house in the very beginning you normally have some sort of plan in place but sometimes we can do all the right things with a plan but then all of a sudden we have to throw that plan out the wayside because something happens to change those plans and so today what I want to ask you is the question have you ever had plans turn out differently what you expected. Show of hands. Plans change on you? Well, let me tell you a story. Uh, My wife and I were planning a trip over the MEA break, and the wonderful, beautiful thing about being married, so my wife's a teacher, and the beautiful thing about being married to a teacher is your vacations are all planned out. So, you know, MEA, Thanksgiving break, Christmas break, spring break, a couple months of summer, you know, it's all planned out. We know when we're going to take vacations. And so this was the time where we were planning to, uh, to take our MEA break. And normally in the past when we were dating, we would take a day trip up north to cities like Duluth and Two Harbors. One year we went to Tedaguchi State Park. Uh, so this year we decided to uh, take a trip further north to Grand Marais. And uh, my wife's friend uh, was gracious enough to to uh, rent out some cabin space for us for free. So we were, we were really excited. This was gonna be a chance for us to be able to explore the wonderful trails that are up near Grand Marais. We were going to experience some awesome food and just some time away amidst all of the busyness. And so we're gearing up, we're getting excited, and then the Tuesday before MEA, it happened. We got the message from my wife's friend saying, We had a family emergency, and unfortunately, the cabin that we were going to rent out to you, we can't rent it out to you anymore unless I'm there. So, sorry, you don't have a place to stay over the MEA break. (laughs) On the outside, in my reaction to this, I I was a little bit frustrated. You know, it's like, okay, we worked hard to plan this vacation. It was going to be great, and now, you know, there's a wrench thrown into it. Maybe we can find a hotel. This might be helpful. But on the inside, I was like, ah, are you kidding me? Come on. We had worked so hard for this. Why did it have to change all of a sudden? And so as we transition into our scripture reading for today, we have to ask ourselves, what do we do when the plan isn't what you expect? And so we're going to go dive into scripture so if you have your bibles you can open up to the book of mark uh ushers if you would please if you could grab a couple bibles if you need a bible just throw your hand up in the air flag down our ushers and they will get you a bible to follow along with what we're going to be talking about today because we are going to be in the book of mark a story in which there was a plan but it wasn't a plan that went accordingly and so Here we are in Mark chapter 1. For those of you who have the Quest Bibles, it's on page 1463. It's a story about John the Baptist. And we're going to hear why John the Baptist is highlighted right at the front of the Gospel of Mark. And many scholars say that the Gospel of Mark was the very first one written and that all of the other Gospels were uh, kind of picked at certain information from Mark in order to write their respective Gospels. And so here we are, Mark chapter 1, it says the good news of, or the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. So the gospel writer Mark uh, is pretty fast-paced, pretty straightforward in his writing. But the interesting thing about straightforward writing is that there's normally a lot of context that is underneath to really give the words a bit more life into what they're saying and to give us a better understanding of why this was so important that John the Baptist was proclaiming this message. And so the reality of the context is that the Lord had not spoken directly to his people for hundreds of years. If you notice in your Bibles, there's a gap between the book of Malachi in the Old Testament and the book of Matthew starting off the New Testament. And that's because there was this intertestamental period where God didn't speak. Directly to his people. And so there was a little bit of uneasiness and a little bit of tension there to a degree. Uh, but this was also the time where there was a certain empire that was at the peak of their power. And that re- empire was otherwise known as the Romans, the Roman Empire. And they were in extreme peace and prosperity. Uh, It was a time known as the Pax Romana. Those of you history buffs in the room know that the Pax Romana was 200 years where the Roman Empire was able to maintain peace and prosperity in their empire for 200 years. And they did it because they were brilliant military strategists and they were able to conquer all of the different other empires that were around the Roman Empire. And so they're, they're conquering and they're sending out a message. And the heart of the Pax Romana was that the Roman Empire was going to guarantee law, order, and security within the empire, and they were gonna do it by showing off their power. Now, the Roman Empire truly was innovative and extremely smart. You know, they were brilliant with their military. They had uh, enormous economic gains and technological innovations that they invented in order to be a step step ahead of all the other empires. And so on the outside, the Roman Empire looked like everything was perfect and that that they were the answer to having a life of peace, that they were the answer to having a life of prosperity. But it wasn't all rainbows and butterflies and sunshine for all of the people of the Roman Empire. Because in order to maintain their wealthy lifestyle, the emperor and the wealthy elites, the middle class and the lower class, or the poor, were the ones who were doing all the work, and the ones who were the slaves to the more wealthy people in the empire. And so these poor, these middle class, were looking for hope. They wanted peace. They were being oppressed. And they wanted it as soon as possible. And they would would get hopeful. Because in 200 years, you're not going to have just one emperor. And so in the Roman Empire, whenever there was a new emperor that arose to the throne, a message would be sent out to the entire Roman Empire. And it would be something along the lines of, The Emperor Augustus has just arisen to the throne. Therefore, peace and prosperity will be maintained throughout the entire empire. And when this message went out, the poor and the middle class would hear this, and they would say, okay, finally, there's change that's going to happen. We have hope. Things are going to get better. But unfortunately, there kept being this. Oppression. But when this message was sent out, it had a name. This type of message that the Roman Empire would send out that was giving the information that a new emperor had arisen to the throne. You want to know the name of that message? Gospel. We've heard of gospel before. The word gospel, you know, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, gospel music. That word in the Greek, the original language of the New Testament, is known as euangelion. Everybody say euangelion. euangelion. Euangelion, translated in English, just means good news. It's an announcement. It's supposed to be sharing good news with people. And so the Roman Empire is sharing this good news that a new emperor has arisen to the throne, and there is going to be maintained peace and prosperity throughout the entire land. And then walks John the Baptist onto the scene. Now, when we're thinking about John the Baptist, let's think about this for a minute. Have any of you ever seen the movie Castaway with Tom Hanks? Okay, really long beard, scraggly hair, you know, has that like volleyball red-handed guy, Wilson, as a friend. We know what we're talking about. Imagine that guy walking out of the wilderness in Israel, and he's got a bag of locusts, and he takes the locusts out, and it's like, bites the head off the locust, and might take another one and dip it in the honey, but then might just take globs of honey and just smear it all over his face. This guy is out proclaiming a message of repent, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight the paths set before him. Okay? How many of you would believe that guy? How many of you would look at him and be like, what? This guy? Like, what? Like, Why would I believe you? Like, the Roman Empire is sending out this message. Like, things are fine. Why are you saying, you know, prepare the way of the Lord? Well, the people back in the time of John the Baptist, when they would hear those words, they heard something really, really familiar. And in order for us to be able to know what those words were, we have to flip all the way back to the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah uh, is was something that people would have heard, whether it was through uh, oral tradition, you know, being passed down from generation to generation because literacy rates weren't as high as they are today, or for those people who were able to read, they were individual scrolls. They weren't like they are today. It would be the individual scrolls, they would read them, and then they would have the knowledge. But in the book of Isaiah, we get the words that John the Baptist is proclaiming. Isaiah chapter 40, and page 1047 of your Quest Bibles, if you have them. And here is the message of Isaiah chapter 40. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. It says, "...comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem, and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for." That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. There's a lot going on with this passage. Isaiah would be categorized as prophetic literature. And I think a lot of times... We think that prophet, we hear the word prophecy and we think, oh, they're predicting the future. But there was more to prophetic literature than just predicting the future. See, most of the time, when a prophet of the Lord would proclaim a message to a people group, it would be a message that was relevant to them for that present time. And it just so happens that in the book of Isaiah, this message was originally meant for people who were in exile who were under oppression under a different empire, the Babylonian Empire. And so this was a remnant who was looking for hope, who was looking for peace, who was looking for a sense of true, authentic joy. This message that John the Baptist proclaims and that we believe today, the foundation of hope that we have was laid all the way back in the New Testament. It was a message for a people in exile who were looking for hope, but it's also a message that was pointing towards the future that somebody great is going to come. The Lord, the Messiah is coming. And when people would hear this message in the time of John the Baptist, now fast forwarding, they heard those words and they're like, awesome, this mighty warrior Of God is going to come in with a sword, behead the emperor, proclaim his rule over the entire world, and establish true, authentic peace and joy and eternal life over everyone. This mighty warrior is going to come in, because I mean, hear the words of Isaiah. It says, every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough grounds shall become level, the rugged places, a plain. That speaks of power. A powerful entity or a powerful individual would be able to lower mountains and raise up valleys. And so the people here are saying, yeah, that's greater than the Roman Empire. This is going to be awesome. Um, This plan is great that God has laid out for us. But the thing is, is that John the Baptist, a little bit later on in the Gospels, points at Jesus of Nazareth and says, behold, the Messiah, the one who has come into this world. And if we know anything about Jesus, we know that he wasn't the violent type. He wasn't about power. In fact, he said things like the first shall be last and the last shall be first. That doesn't doesn't speak of power. And he cared for people. He was compassionate. He healed people. He didn't overlook the middle and the lower classes. No, he cared about everybody. He spoke with everybody. And it didn't matter what culture you came from. He cared about you. He proclaimed that the kingdom of heaven is near. And that this was good news. But the most confusing thing that he did that kind of went counter to What Isaiah was proclaiming was that he died on a cross. He died in the most humiliating, shameful way possible. That doesn't sound like someone who speaks power or brings power or is going to establish peace and joy and eternal life on this earth. But here's the thing that we need to understand about plans. Sometimes it might not be what we want but it's what we need. And for the people of God, for the people that John the Baptist was proclaiming this message to, what they needed was Jesus. And this holiday season, hear me out on this. We need to understand that there are many things that are going to try and grab our attention, that are going to try and share good news that's going to provide joy. For example, Good news, Black Friday sales are happening. Save $600 on this $700 television. Like, that's good news. Like, who wouldn't think that's good news? Or here's another one. Good news, Christmas is at Aunt Susie's house, and all of the family is going to be gathered together. It's going to be a wonderful, joyous time to be together, to give gifts, and to have all the family together, to enjoy a Christmas meal. This is good news. Good news. Or my personal favorite, good news, eggnog is out. Okay, that might not be good news for some people, but for me, it's good news. Now understand this, I'm not saying these are bad things. Okay, I'm not saying that you shouldn't care about the good news and that you shouldn't get excited about these these messages, these euangelion, if you will. But it's not, the good news. It's not good news to rest your foundation on. It's not hope to rest your foundation on, okay? Because those sales are gonna go away. Your TV's gonna get old, okay? Family, while it's gathered together, it's going to be wonderful, but the family's gonna go back to their regular lives, and that time together is going to be now dispersed. And so while it provides a joy, it's not something to rest your foundation of hope upon. But what you can rest your foundation of hope on is the good news of the gospel. And oftentimes, we miss this. We miss the importance of this. We miss the power that this message brings. And you want to know what the good news of the gospel is? Yeah. It's that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Three words. Super simple, but we a lot of times gloss over it. Well, Let's take some time to unpack this. There's an emphasis on each of these parts. It's first that Jesus is Lord, okay? Not your role models, not any leader who's in charge of a country, not anybody out there in the world, and most importantly, and not any other religions, they aren't Lord. And most importantly, you are not Lord. You are not Lord, and thank goodness you are not Lord, because Jesus is Lord. But there's also another part to that. It's that Jesus is Lord. Okay, Lord, Messiah. What does that mean for Jesus to be Lord and Messiah? It means that he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. God with us, he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to care about you. He doesn't just want to care about you during the holiday season. He wants to care about you for your entire life, and he wants to walk alongside of you. If you have a mountain that is in front of you that you just can't seem to climb over, Jesus is there to proclaim that he is Lord, and he's going to lower that mountain for you. If you find yourself in a chaotic situation where you're not sure if you could ever find peace then Jesus is there to raise up those valleys to be able to proclaim that he is he has the peace that is beyond all understanding and there is this thing in this world it's known as sin and sin is in our lives no matter how hard we try to rid of it rid it ourselves but here steps Jesus and Jesus says no i am going to defeat The ultimate enemy. It's not the Roman Empire. It's not our current troubles. Our current troubles are sin, but that's okay because I am Lord. And therefore, with Jesus being Lord, he died on a cross. And even though it looked shameful, it actually was the most powerful thing he could have done because he actually defeated death. And he defeated death for you, for your forgiveness, for the forgiveness of sins. He did that for you. It's good news. It's the best news that we could ever receive. That's news that I can rest my hope on to know that in the future, that because of what Jesus has done and because of the fact that Jesus is Lord, I can follow that guy anywhere and know that he provides joy, he provides a peace that is beyond all understanding, and because he has died and risen again, we have eternal life that is good news and so the question now is what do we do with the good news well yes we're first supposed to receive it and yes we're supposed to be like what John the Baptist says in mark chapter 1 verse 4 repent okay but it's more than that it's more than just hearing it and then being like okay it's preparing to receive it, opening up your eyes, opening up your ears, settling your heart to receive this really good news that Jesus is Lord and then letting it enrich you to stir up something inside of you so that, and have it be the foundation of your entire being, not just the foundation of your thoughts, not just the foundation of your actions because anybody can do good but we do good because Jesus commands us to do good. And even our whole being is what the good news of the gospel should rest upon. And it may not be what we expected. It may not have been what the people back in the time of John the Baptist expected. But it was what they needed. And it's what we need this holiday season. It's what we need in order to rest our foundation of hope upon. Okay, back to the story that, about my wife and I and our MEA plans. Uh, it was told to me one time that whenever you're telling a story involving your wife, uh, you need to make sure to make your wife the hero. So uh, here we go. My wife is the hero in this one. Uh, in the midst of my frustration and like the what are we going to do, she comes up with a simple like, hey, you know what? We can still take a day trip up to Duluth. You know, there was a need for, uh, you know, wanting to do an apple orchard. And to be honest, we've been on the go so much. Let's take one day and let's just rest. Let's get a sense of peace and be okay. And don't get me wrong, we wanted to go to Grand Marais. We really did. And it was really disappointing that our plans didn't work out. But the plans that we came up with, uh, it was what we needed. We needed rest. And we needed a rest that was going to be enjoyable. And we needed a rest that was actually going to be restful for us. So when you receive the good news of the gospel, when you're in a mode of preparation, if you will, don't just keep it to yourself, but proclaim it. That's what the gospel is all about. It's about sharing it with other people. In the original Greek, if we look at the word euangelion, It's a noun, but there's a verbal aspect to it. The verbal aspect is euangelizo, which means I proclaim the good news, meaning that this isn't something to be kept. This is meant to be proclaimed. And in fact, even way back in our Old Testament foundation of hope in the book of Isaiah, we hear the words right after verse 8, you who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain, You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. These aren't just words that we proclaim. I think some of us get this fear that we have to like have this eloquent argument for, hey, this is why you should believe in Jesus. It's not necessarily how that works. How it does work is we don't just proclaim it with our words, we proclaim it with our actions, we proclaim it with our whole being. And there's a number of opportunities for every single one of you to be a part of this mission, to be and make disciples, to bring the good news to somebody who has never heard this wonderful news before. Okay, Project Home is happening. We need overnight hosts, we need evening hosts, we need people to be the hands and feet of Jesus with our actions and with our whole beings and with what we say in love and truth and kindness to the people that we are caring for, you get the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus. And all it takes is just being yourself. That's pretty easy. Just be yourself and connect with people. Okay, Project Home is one option. There's going to be other service opportunities as well for you to be able to Uh, to do that. There's Advent services, midweek Advent services for a chance for you to, maybe it's a hard week, you know, the Christmas rush is coming and you just need some time to be with God. Those Advent uh, midweek services are fantastic. Hopefully they fill you up and hopefully they give you the capacity to be able to proclaim the good news to other people. And finally, I'm sure that there are a lot of you out there who know people who don't know Jesus. And how are people supposed to hear the good news of Jesus if you don't tell them? I think the statistic that we've been sharing is staggering. 82% of people, if you ask them, will say, yes, I'll, I'll come to church with you for Christmas Eve. But pe- the number of people or the percentage of people who actually do that, 2%. 2% of people. Let's break that. Let's break the 2%. Let's be people who are inviting, who are curious, who are asking questions and are caring about people. Let's be people who proclaim the good news of Jesus this holiday season. Let's invite people to Christmas Eve worship. There's going to be plenty of opportunities. And so don't be afraid. It's the, one of the most common commandments that we hear. Don't be afraid. So let the good news of the gospel be your foundation. And let it be the foundation that Jesus is building for us. Because it's not just the foundation. There's also going to be the finishing. And there's also going to be the framework. And let this guide you. And let Jesus guide you this holiday season. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we come before you as people who are eager and who are hungry to be impacted by the good news that you are Lord. Give us the time, give us the capacity to be able to receive that with joy. Help us during this Advent season to reflect on your goodness, help us to be built up. Lord, continue to be a manual with us, continue to guide us, continue to lead us Fill us up with your grace and your mercy. Help us to know that it's not about perfection, but it's about preparation. It's about being open to who you are. Lord Jesus, you've done so much for us. And we just come before you with hearts of gratitude for everything. And Lord, just give us strength. Give us courage. Help us be bold in proclaiming the good news and help us in our mission to be and make disciples. Lord, we know it's only through you that this is possible. And so we lift all of our prayers up to you in your most precious and holy name. Amen.